And welcome back to the Department 12 podcast. I am joined in this episode by Aaron Halliday. How are you tonight, Aaron? I'm great. How are you today? I'm doing good. So Aaron is someone that I have been uh, interacting with virtually uh, online, on specifically on LinkedIn for quite a while. So I'm excited to, to talk to you in, in person or as close as in person as we're <laughs> going to get. Yeah, it's uh, great to actually engage with you through this environment. So what I asked Aaron to be on the show is that um, right now, two of the the fastest growing jobs in the country, at least if you read enough articles in popular business magazines, are industrial and organizational psychologist um, and data scientist. And Aaron, you are both. Is that right? That is correct. So help us out here. How did that happen? Uh, obviously, the <laughs> two are related, but uh, you don't run into too many cats who have uh, who have done both. So uh, what came first and, you know, how did you get from point A to point B? Yeah, um, the, the irony of ironies, I think, behind all this is that many of the skills and, and uh, resources that, that psychologists generally have and use throughout their day-to-day work, especially if they're researching psychologists, are data science skills. Um, we know quite a bit about statistics. We know quite a bit about research. We have a high degree of specialized knowledge. Um, we are familiar with terms like multiple regression, linear multiple regression, logistical regression. All of these things are, are basically ways that you can look at pre- making predictions using data and to a high degree, that, that's, what, that's what a lot of data scientists, data scientists, sorry, spend their time doing. Um, so uh, it was kind of a natural flow of things for me. Uh, I also happen to have uh, a huge history and um, in, in interest in computer science when I was a kid. Uh, I, I believe I first learned how to code with uh, HTML back in the day. I coded my own website, uh, and I me also, too. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Early 90s. <laughs> um, it was a bigger thing, I think, Ben, uh, that back when I was a kid, that was like the original tech bubble, right? Um, mm-hmm. Dot com bubble. And I had a lot of interest in that at that time. And uh, I think it just, there's a period when I went to graduate school and, and university where I had considered taking that path, but uh, I happened to fall into psychology and I was very, very happy with that. Um, and, it, and it fulfilled. Uh, aspects of, of the scientist in me, not just necessarily the programmer. Mm-hmm. And um, it, was, it was a great experience. But when I happened to finish my graduate degree, I think I felt uh, with, with a little bit more freedom in my life outside of my graduate career, uh, some of these old, old um, hobbies calling me. And I think that that's what kind of drew me back into uh, more interaction with software and, and programming and that sort of stuff. So um, at that point, I decided that I was going to take it upon myself to learn a few additional skills. Uh, I took coursework in Python. I took coursework in uh, R. Um, I, I basically did uh, an entire certificate in machine learning, um, did some work with uh, uh, neural networks, um, just to, just to get myself uh, educated on these top on these subjects, a lot of it. If you had advanced statistical math in your psychology degree, which m- many of you do, um, it, it wasn't completely alien to me. Uh, mm-hmm. when, when I look at it uh, in hindsight, I think it's actually such a, a simple transition if you're already pretty fluent in, in, in 
the, the language of statistics and math. Uh, and I would actually give a lot of people out there more credit uh, that have taken the data science path and had very limited statistics or mathematics training to begin with, because mm-hmm. some of the, the mathematics involved are, are quite advanced. And I, I wouldn't uh, say that it's, it's a really simple journey, <laughs> even, even with, um, even with advanced uh, mathematics training. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, that makes a lot of sense. So it, you got out of graduate school, um, you, sort of opened your horizons a little bit and, and rediscovered, you know, an interest in coding and, and that kind of thing. So when I hear the word scientist, um, you know, what I think of is someone, you know, whether it's the hard sciences, the social sciences, whatever, they're doing research to, to generate or build theory to explain something, um, hopefully generalizable about the world around us. Uh, either in a basic or an applied way. But that's not really the purpose of a data scientist, right? That's not what you're trying to do as a data scientist, or or are you? I think in the the applied sense, yes, you are. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, primarily I look at the skill set of a data scientist as, a, as more of an engineering framework of, of tackling problem, problems that are very practical in nature. Um uh, I'm not saying that they don't operate with mm-hmm. the theoretical. Their their skill set is actually very well aligned to take, for example, IO psychologists into a totally new realm of research uh, involving big data. Um, there's a lot that we can learn from, for, for example, engaging in some very high-level studies using big data if we wanted to, for example, look at the clustering of big five traits using millions of cases worth of data. That was recently done. And they found that there was largely four types of personality uh, based on the big five uh, four four generalized clusters uh, that, 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 that we could um, delineate from a data set of about 1.5 million. And the, that that's just the tip of the iceberg. I think we're going to start seeing more and more uh, implementations of this come up. Uh, and uh, I think especially with the idea that these skills are very valuable, I think that, yeah, you know, applying even neural networks in, in certain procedures may be even quite valuable for, for selection purposes and hiring and other things. Uh, but there's a whole bucket of ethics that I think are not necessarily being looked at, especially from mm-hmm. the data science side of things, uh, that I think on the converse, um, psychology would probably, psychologists, generally speaking, would probably lend really well to the data science community. We are specialists. We're highly, highly trained, and we have a great, uh, not only theoretical understanding, but a great like um, contribution to, to a legal understanding and how to pave the way forward for things regarding ethics and in the workplace in particular. And I think that we need to get involved in these projects and in these conversations uh, more and more. And, and thankfully, from what I'm seeing on various communities online and uh, even with regards to SIAP, I think that we as psychologists are starting to get involved in these conversations more and more, especially with Mm -hmm. uh, an increased understanding of what is able to be done with things like uh, machine learning, artificial intelligence, that sort of thing. Sure. So it sounds like, you know, one of the the biggest possibilities you see is incorporating, uh, you know, some of this this data science methodology into, you know, the work that we do as IO psychologists. For example, you know, you shared the example of, of, you know, examining like, or uh, 
1.5 million cases, I think you said, of, uh, of big five and, and clustering them into these four types, which is absolutely fascinating. I can't wait to read that. And then you, you brought up, I think, one of the, the big problems that, you know, often gets discussed is, is about ethics mm-hmm. um, and, or the lack thereof. I just wonder, could you share a specific example, obviously not from yourself, but just from what you have seen out there in the world of, of data science of, um, you know, maybe a project or an effort that seems to be progressing without a whole lot of ethical, you know, forethought or oversight. Sure. And I, I want people that are listening to this to understand that this is just like a story of a story from a friend. So Mm -hmm. before I lead into this, um, I don't want to disparage any particular communities or anybody like that. Sure, please don't. (laughs) I'm not trying to. Uh, But the idea is that I know one major technical school uh, that, that, that is known by three initials uh, is, is basically uh, they allow their graduates of their tech uh, program to basically go through the entire program without an ethics lecture. And that is a stark comparison to what we see with other professional courses, especially graduate course courses that touch and impact the amount of lives that we see tech is impacting today. And that is gravely concerning to me. Um, mm-hmm. especially when you consider that AI is probably going to be impacting almost every aspect of our lives. When you get down to it, it's going to be, um, impacting the way we do farming. It's going to be impacting the way we hire, the way that we train and develop for, uh, reskilling, uh, all sorts of things. It's going to have a great impact on our lives. And the fact that people aren't receiving the ethics, uh, education, and that's none of that's going into the products that they're developing. It's, it, it's concerning and it puts me a little bit on edge and it makes me wonder if things are really being done in the right way. Um, mm-hmm. I would hope that if, for example, in the work space that more and more IO psychologists would be recruited uh, to work alongside uh, data scientists that are on, on these various projects. But I'm not sure that um, the professional specialists um, I, I don't know if the number of professional specialists that are available, aka IO psychologists in this mm-hmm. example, are in sufficient numbers to help with all the various projects that are available on, on hand. Um, especially um, when, when you consider the way that we're trained is not necessarily directed uh, as, a, as a people towards, um, towards application. A lot of the times our job uh, in in graduate school is actually being directed towards theory and research Mm -hmm. and science. And there's a big research practitioner gap out there that needs addressing and, you know, hopefully integration so that these these people are actually better able to talk to each other and better able to appreciate what the other people have to bring to the table. Um, So yeah, uh, there's a number of ethical concerns in that with regards to that. I, I, I know some specific projects that are being done that and I'm sure we're all aware of them. Actually, it's not like I have to point to anyone in particular, but uh, it's not, it happens with such increasing frequency that when we hear of, Oh, such and such as algorithm is biased with regards to blank Mm -hmm. where nobody's really surprised. Everybody's just like, okay, that's the algorithm, but that's the best way that we're doing things right now. Um, But I feel like we have to take, uh, you know, a little bit slower steps. Sometimes, uh, you don't want to throw the baby out of the bathwater, but you also don't want to, you know, put 
you want to take a calculated approach to risk. Um, there's one project that I heard of. Uh, I'm not sure if it's being carried forward even today, but it, the, the people were trying to basically use security cam footage to predict the DNA signature uh, or likely DNA sig- signature of a perpetrator. And it, it, the problems with that, if you get it wrong, are, are so gravitous that I, I don't think it's even worth it to do that unless you have a data set that's fully capable <laughs> of doing everything you want it to do. Um, yeah. Because in a world like today and uh, where you have almost implicit trust of data and almost implicit trust of science, uh, you, you have people looking at, for example, neuroscience uh, visualizations and, and almost not questioning them. <laughs> and this is a known mm-hmm. phenomenon that happens to people. Um, it, it's, it, it is something that I think uh, we need yeah. to maybe dial back and, and yeah. kind of get a more comfortable hand on before we move forward. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll just comment on a couple of not things. Not every case, know. but some of them. Yeah. Well, well one of the, the comments that you made that, that jumped out to me was this idea of like a, a partnership or, or some kind of oversight relationship where we get IO psychologists involved in some of these data science projects um, and to bring some of that expertise and maybe some of the, the, the ethical insight into it. And, you know, your concern was, hey, there just aren't enough IO psychologists. And, you know, as I think about the demographics of uh, of my, you know, little world. I live in the greater Pittsburgh area, uh, which is not Silicon Valley, but which is like, you know, a, a junior version of Cine- uh, Sil- Silicon Valley because sure. of the, the tech schools around here and the startups and things like that. And, and I think there are probably uh, some neighborhoods that have, you know, in a two block area, more data scientists working than there are IO psychologists exactly. in the greater metropolitan region. Exactly. So it, it was... It, it, it doesn't scale up all that well. Um, and the other thing that, that, that jumped out at me was, um, you know, you mentioned that like, well, you know, I, I don't need to even bring up specific examples because they're kind of everywhere and we see them. And I suspect that most IO psychologists see them in the same way that a lot of lay people see them in that. Yeah. We read this article and yeah, this looks terrible, but the actual, uh, inner workings of data science is such a black box to most of us. Uh, how we relate it to what we do or what we've learned, it's really tough for us to comment on a field uh, that maybe feels like it's related, but we really are maybe kind of out of our depth just because really we don't, don't I, maybe even understand what, uh, you know, what some of these algorithms or procedures are or how closely related they actually are to the, they are very they related. They are highly, highly related. You have similar applications doing similar things. You do clustering operations, you do, uh, you know, prediction with regards to, you know, what classification things are going into. You have, uh, applications that basically predict the probabilistic likelihood of something or figure out an equation that will, uh, you know, sufficiently give you a good enough prediction that you can make a judgment call or decision rule. And, and, you know, psychologists do all these things with statistics. They may not, they use generally like an algorithm that's pre-programmed for you. What data scientists basically have is what I would say is a much finer degree of control over what's being specifically mm-hmm. done in the algorithm to, to reach mm-hmm. these sorts of conclusions. So they have, uh, a bit more finer tuning abilities, but that's not necessarily true if you're a functional programmer in, in, in R, for example. And I know a lot of psychologists mm-hmm. that are, are functionally, you know, good enough in R that they can do certain things. So 
I don't want psychologists to come at things uh, thinking that data science is like this big black box. It, it really isn't. Um, and I highly, highly encourage those that are interested in learning more about it to take uh, a course by Andrew Ng. It's on available on Coursera. Um, it's, you know, highly informative. And, you know, the math is a good refresher for those of us who have forgotten it anyway. The only thing I really had to relearn, I think, was like, how to do matrix algebra because I haven't done that in a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but other than that, it's, uh, it's, it's really informative. It's really interesting. Uh, and it teaches you a valuable new skill. So cool. So I'll definitely have a link to that in the show notes. Um, for anybody that is, you know, you're out of your graduate program and you're looking to, uh, sort of dual path into data science in the same way that Aaron has, you know, I, I think you shared, Aaron, you shared a good starting point. And, and although it sounds like, you know, it's not the easiest thing in the world, it's also not mysterious how to go about doing this. Uh, it, it's out there. But what I wonder is if you could go back um, into your graduate program, um, would you have tried to to learn some of this stuff alongside of the more traditional coursework? Or do you think it's just it's too much to, to cram together into into one uh, time period? I, I think it really depends on who you are, who who is your supervisor, and whether they'll mm. see any value in it. Uh, I think yeah. a lot of programs that just like this is the way we do things here. Um, yeah. That and I, there's a lot I can say about that, but I think we'd have to spend an entire episode talking about that. Um, but uh, I think it would be valuable. Um, you'll have more time, hopefully, in graduate school than any other time, <laughs> in, a, in a weird way, uh, depending on how long it takes you to get through grad, grad school. Um, I was the first of my cohort to graduate grad school, to my knowledge. Mm-hmm. So it was um, kind of a cram-packed sort of uh, timeline for me. Um, but the skills are valuable. Um, I don't know, for example, though, if... if psychologists would look at some of the results of data science, uh, depending on what they are and say that they're, you know, they're meeting the rigor that, that psychology, psychological research is holding. Um, mm-hmm. or again, they're, they're practical solvent problem solvers and they're less concerned with P values and more concerned with actual outcomes. I mean, they are concerned with P values too, just pr- probably not mm-hmm. to the same obsession <laughs> that, that <laughs> the average, you know, publish or perish culture kind of drives you to be. Sure. Cool. All right. Well, I am going to pack the show notes with contact information for you, links to the articles and the course that you mentioned earlier. Thank you. Um, I, I want to thank you very much for for taking the time to talk to us. I found the conversation absolutely fascinating, and I hope to continue it uh, yeah. either in a future episode or on LinkedIn and just kind of keep the uh, the dialogue, hopefully, between IO psychology and data science going, because it, it seems like you're well-placed to, to, to make that bridge. So thanks. I'm happy to come on and talk whenever you would like to have me over. For anybody who would like to get in touch with me, my LinkedIn handle is actually Aaron Halliday, PhD. I'm more than happy to communicate with people about all sorts of interesting topics related to psychology and data science. Uh, beyond that, though, I'm also involved in a little startup called Trust Included. Uh, you can check out my website and com- my contact form on there if you're looking to get in touch with me. Uh, that website is trustincluded.com. The whole idea behind this startup is that we're looking to build strong organizational cultures, inspirational leadership, and positive employee experiences in every organization. So if you would like to get in contact with me about that, uh, that's a perfect way to do that. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time to have me on the show.